0: Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Okay, so we're continuing our series In Jesus' Shoes. We're going into the Gospels, we're trying to focus on Jesus' interactions with people, not necessarily his miracles or his teaching, his parables, but his interaction with people. How did he meet people? How did he interact with them in their unique situation and circumstance? Well, this week we're going to look at uh, Jesus accepting a dinner invitation from a Pharisee called Simon. A Pharisee called Simon uh, invites Jesus to dinner. And Jesus accepts the invitation and he goes to Simon's house for this dinner. Let's pick up the uh, story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. It says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man was a prophet he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner Jesus answered him Simon I have something to tell you tell me teacher he said two people owed money to a certain moneylender. one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 neither of them had the money to pay him back so he forgave the debts of both now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet you do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this is a wonderful story of Jesus' interaction with this woman. This is not the same story that's recorded in the other three Gospels um, that we've touched on before, where the woman comes and anoints Jesus in the week, the last week before he goes to the cross, uh, anoints him essentially for his burial. This is a different story. This happens much much earlier in Jesus' ministry. Now, the woman isn't named in the story, and sorry, ladies, this is what you get when men write the scriptures, <laughs> which they did. They recorded these stories, and, uh, and so they would focus on the male characters. And also, men aren't great on detail, are they? So they miss out key details. Whenever I tell a story, he's like, tell the details. I'm like, no, I'll give you the overview, the summary. But so we don't know this lady's name. It's not recorded in this story. Some speculate that it's Mary Magdalene, but there's no evidence at all to suggest that in the scriptures that's who this lady was, so we don't think it's Mary Magdalene. Luke says this woman led a sinful life, and we can probably discern from that that she was probably a prostitute in the city. But before we leap to judge her, we don't know her backstory, we don't know her circumstance, we don't know how she arrived at that position in her life. As a Maybe a single woman at that time in culture, it would have been very difficult for her to survive. And this made the only way she could actually earn a living and actually uh, survive. A very harsh environment for, for women back in Jesus' day. But something has happened to this woman. She's had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And again, Luke doesn't tell us where. He doesn't tell us the when. He doesn't tell us the how. Nothing's recorded in the Gospel about how this woman and Jesus interacted. We don't know whether she just heard Jesus' teaching. We don't know whether she saw Jesus heal someone, a miraculous sort of sign. We don't know whether she had a, a personal encounter and conversation with Jesus at some point in the past. But whatever the encounter was, it was so transformational, it completely changed the course of her life. And in this story, she wants to go fully public with her gratitude towards Jesus. Now, we need to get into the cultural setting here because some of this story doesn't make sense unless you understand the culture, what it was like 2,000 years ago in the Middle East when you had a dinner like the one Jesus attended. This dinner would have been a public dinner. It wouldn't have been a private dinner party. Uh, so when Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner, everyone would have known this was a public occasion. And you could actually go and watch what was happening at the dinner? You could go and sort of pass by and pop in and see this dinner in progress. And that makes more sense, doesn't it? Because when you read about the woman suddenly appearing in the middle of the dinner, you think about it from a modern lens. You think she's sort of broken in. She sort of snuck in to your dinner party and suddenly appeared in the midst. You invite some friends around for a meal and suddenly a strange woman appears at the table. She somehow managed to pick your front door, come in, and she's appeared. No, this was a public setting, and that's why this woman could gain entry and access to Jesus. Now, we have to remember her reputation would have been known in the city. She would have been known as a woman who was leading a sinful life. So for her, it took tremendous courage to make a decision to go to that meal in that public setting. Think of all the disapproving eyes that would have landed on her as she walked into that public setting, that public meal. And perhaps the most disapproving of all would have been Simon the Pharisee, who would have thought, oh, this woman is going to spoil my my holy occasion with Jesus. Because his house would have symbolised all that was respectable and religious and honourable. You know, he was a, a powerful figure in the community. And this woman was here about to sour the occasion. But things are about to get much worse for Simon, because the woman isn't going to stop just by turning up. She's going to do some public display of her gratitude towards Jesus. She plans to anoint him as a symbol of her thanks and worship. Now again, we need to understand what these meals were like, because if you read the story in a modern context, you imagine a woman ferreting around under a dining table trying to put oil on someone's feet, don't you? It's all a bit strange, isn't it really? You imagine them all sitting there looking down and thinking, why is this woman under the table trying to put oil on my feet? We have to understand that when these these meals are held in this way, people reclined on cushions, a bit like this picture here. A central table with everyone leaning in on their left elbow, eating with their right hand, with their feet away from the table. It looks like an instant recipe for indigestion, doesn't it, to be honest? <laughs> it looks really, really uncomfortable, but that's the way people would have eaten in the Middle East. And it means, of course, that their feet were readily accessible. So when it says that this woman got behind Jesus and got to his feet, we can see how easily it would have been to get behind a person and get to their feet, because their feet were sticking away from the table when they were all turning in towards the table. And that's how we have to understand. It's really important when you read your Bible, read the Scriptures, if something seems a bit strange, try and look at the wider context, the, the, the cultural context, the historical settings. It makes much more sense than trying to read the Bible through a modern lens, because... This story doesn't make sense if you think of it as just a normal dinner party in a semi, uh, (laughs) you know, with a normal modern dining table. But in this context, the woman could gain entry, a public meal, she could gain access to Jesus' feet, and she could begin her act of worship. It says uh, that she came and stood behind him. You can see she wasn't creepily standing behind him. She was actually behind him because his feet were outstretched towards her. And as she got to his feet... She intended to anoint them with the perfume that she carried. Many women would carry perfume around their neck in alabaster jars, precious perfume, and she brought that in with her, and uh, she planned to anoint his feet as a symbol of her gratitude and worship. As she got close, she was overcome with the strength of her emotion, and she just began to weep, and her tears fell on his feet. And the only thing she had to dry his feet with was her hair. Now, Jewish women didn't unbind their hair in public. That wasn't what they did. They had to keep their hair bound up. Um, But she unbound her hair, and she used it as a towel. So imagine Simon looking on, thinking, oh, my goodness, there's a woman here. She's crying all over Jesus' feet. Now she's unbound her hair, and now she's drying his feet with her hair. He must have been absolutely furious inside that she was messing with his, his occasion, It's her tears of gratitude that washed the dirt from Jesus' feet that day. And then she dries the feet with her hair. And you can only imagine the the strength of emotion she was feeling that day towards Jesus. She's gone so far beyond the cultural norms, so far beyond the norms of what will be expected of any woman, yet she was a woman of disrepute and she was in the midst of this public setting doing this extravagant act of worship. Because to attend to the feet of someone was the most menial task you could do. It was normally reserved for a slave. A slave would normally attend to the feet of the guests. And so she'd gone into this humble position of washing Jesus' feet with her tears and then drying it with her hair. And then she takes this perfume and she pours it out on his feet. She anoints him with this precious perfume. It's a beautiful, humble act of genuine worship. Simon's been watching all this, and he's not happy. He's not happy. And he has this disapproving conversation, probably under his breath, with himself. He says, if this man was a prophet, he'd know the sort of woman who's touching him. He'd know that she was a sinner. He'd know that she's contaminating him by being here, by touching him, by this this horrible display of, of affection. Simon thinks that this woman's interaction with Jesus proves that actually he's a phony. He's not the real deal. He's not a real prophet, a real man of God. Because if he was, there's no way he'd let this woman come and contaminate him with her tears and her hair and her her perfume. He He would be so far away from that. But Jesus, being Jesus, he knows exactly the sort of woman that she is and he knows exactly the sort of person that Simon is. Now I would encourage you, well I'll probably warn you actually, the next time you've got judgment in your heart towards somebody or a situation, be aware that Jesus knows exactly the person that you're judging and he knows exactly what is going on in your heart too. He's not standing there with you, sort of judging the person that you're judging. He's understanding that person's heart and he's also understanding your heart too. And Jesus understands both players in this story. So he decides to give Simon a little test. He says to him, Simon, I've got something to tell you. And Simon goes, well, tell me, teacher. And then he tells this story about these two people. Two people owe owe money. One owes ten times more money than the other one. And the money lender decides to forgive them the debt. Forgive. Interesting use of the word there, isn't it? We don't often think of, of debts being forgiven. In modern context, debts are normally paid off or canceled out, but in the ancient culture, you would forgive a debt. It would be essentially canceled out. So two people, one gets forgiven 500, one gets forgiven 50. Who's going to love more? Who's going to love more? Who's going to be the most grateful? And Simon replies, I suppose, note the slight contempt in his voice, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus says, yes, you've judged correctly. Now, here comes the application of the story. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You don't give me any water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You don't give me a kiss, but she kissed me. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's anointed my feet. All these things that the woman did were supposed to be the things that any host would do to honor a guest who would come into their house for a public meal like this. A host was supposed to provide water to wash the feet of the guests, they would have traveled and got very dirty and dusty, so water should have been present for the guests to wash their feet by the host. Simon doesn't provide any water that day. A host was supposed to welcome a guest with a kiss, a way of showing honor and respect. No kisses from Simon that day. And a host would normally provide cheap olive oil to sort of slick back and sort of tidy up the hair of any guests. Not even any cheap olive oil that day from Simon for Jesus. All the honour that was supposed to come from the host has actually come from this woman who has chosen to courageously make her way into that setting and give Jesus the honour and respect he deserves. She's the one who washes his feet. She's the one who, who gives them a kiss. She's the one who provides the anointing oil. And Jesus drives his point home, doesn't he? He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. So what we're seeing in this story is the consequences of actions that have happened previously. The reason she's carrying out these things today is because she's received the grace and the love of Christ into her heart and she's coming to display her worship. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. This woman may have had many sins, but Jesus doesn't list them or allude to them. He just says they're dealt with, they're forgiven. Her slate is washed clean. And her great love is evidence of this. She's living out of that love and that new identity and that forgiveness. She's the greater debtor in the story. Who do you think the man who owed the 50s in the story, Simon. Simon, their actions have revealed their hearts, haven't they? The man who's forgiven little loves little. The woman is fully aware of her need of a savior, totally aware, and she receives Jesus completely with open arms into her life. And her great act of worship that day reveals the gratitude and the genuineness of her encounter with Jesus. Simon is a different story. He doesn't really think he needs Jesus at all. He's just there to test Jesus out. He doesn't need Jesus' forgiveness. He's confident in his own righteousness. And his actions that day, they reveal his heart. He's the lesser debtor in the story. He believes he has little need of forgiveness in his life. So, in fact, he's the one who loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The guests get preoccupied about, well, who's this who can forgive sins? But Jesus says this beautiful thing, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So what can we learn from Jesus today in this interaction? Well, I want to say the first thing that Jesus isn't saying here, he isn't saying that if we have more sin in our life, then we'll get more love. So if you want a lot of God love in your life, you just need to do lots of bad things, and then you'll get more love from God. A bit like this... uh, like a seesaw. So, you know, if you, want, if you want more of God's love, you just need to go bigger with your sin. Yeah? Because the more you, you sin, the more you need God's forgiveness, and so you'll be somebody who really has, you know, been forgiven a lot, so you'll, you'll love more. That's actually not what Jesus was saying here. He's not talking about the size of our sin or the size of love. He's talking about perspective. Because Paul addresses this in the in, uh, in letters to the Romans. He says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The more we sin, the more we get God's grace, the more love we get. No, he says, by no means you've got the wrong end of the stick. This is not like the more we do bad, the more we get God's love. Paul tells the measure of God's love into our life isn't related to the amount of sin, the stuff that we're doing that you know, is, is taking us away from God. What Simon the Pharisee failed to realize was the fact that he needed God's grace and forgiveness just as much as the woman did. But he thought he was morally superior. So he, he stands there in his righteousness, not believing he has any need for a saviour, not believing he has any need of God's grace and forgiveness and restoration. But the woman, completely needs to receive what Jesus has. She's completely reliant on God's grace and God's love and God's restoration. She's acutely aware of her predicament, acutely aware where she is, and so welcomes and receives Jesus fully into her heart. Where do you sit this morning, would you think? How how does your encounter with Jesus look? How much confidence do you have in your own righteousness or how much do you feel you need jesus this morning i once heard an interview with bear grills and he talks about you know my friends often ribbed me because they said that god was like a crutch he said actually i need a stretcher <laughs> and i think the woman fully understood that she needed everything that jesus had to offer simon the pharisee much less so much less so he didn't think he needed Jesus, and so his love offering, his demonstration of love, was actually meagre and small. And I think what this story really tells us is this. We love greatly when we know we've been greatly loved. We love greatly when we know we've been greatly loved. The woman's actions that day showed that she knew she'd received great love into her life. Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. This is the gospel, in a nutshell. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith in Jesus has saved you. Go in peace. And what's interesting about go in peace that Jesus says there, it's, he actually says, go into peace. Go into peace. We'll come back to this in a moment. But let's think about this. Your sins are forgiven. Regardless of how big your debt is, when you come to Jesus, he wipes it out. He deals with it. Every detail of it is, is dealt with. is forgotten. If you're like me, you're very good at keeping an account in your own head of the things that you've done wrong. Yeah? You've got like a bit of a mental list you can go through and think about the areas where you haven't done well or you failed or you've or messed up, or you've done things that have taken you away from God rather than towards God. Jesus comes and says, I'm going to deal with that list. I'm going to deal with it now, and I'm going to deal with it on an ongoing basis for you. That's the good news of the gospel. Your faith has saved you. Putting your trust in the person of Jesus is what saves you. It's what brings us into healing and wholeness. In a sense, you're saved from your selfish self. (laughs) That's what you're saved from. You're saved from your selfish self that would turn inward and turn you away from God. And instead, God brings you into a family of love, of acceptance and care and protection and value. So your faith in Jesus, it saves you. He saves you. Then go in peace. As I said, actually, it's go into peace. Rabbis used to use go in peace as a farewell to a dead person. It was like a part of a eulogy, you know, go in peace into the afterlife. Jesus doesn't say go in peace, he says go into peace. And the inference is, go into a living life. Go into your life in a new way. Live peace. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, change, it's a subtle change, but Jesus does it there to say, you've got a life to live now. And you're going to live it from a different place, a different identity. You're going to live it from love and acceptance and care. Go into peace Go into peace. So I want to look at this woman and think about some of the things that she did that we could possibly do. If she's a template for what it means to encounter Jesus, then what can we learn from the woman that day? How can we be like her? Well, the first thing I think we can think about is acting courageously. It took great courage for that woman to go into that dinner that day and do what she did in front of all those people. What's the last thing that you did that took courage? Are you playing your life so safe that you haven't had to do anything recently that required courage? Now, courage can be... Courage, someone said, it's just fear that said it's prayers, okay? (laughs) Courage isn't about being brave all the time. Courage is about choosing to do something that stretches you or pushes you or put you in an area you're not normally comfortable, but because you feel Jesus is encouraging you, you go there. So when's the last time you did something that required courage? The next thing she does is, she, I think she walks in humility. She goes to the feet of Jesus. She goes to the feet of Jesus in humility. How could you and I go to the feet of people in our lives? Go to the feet of situations. We love to go to the head, don't we? We love to go to the head because that that sort of resonates with the pride in us. We like to... But Jesus, this woman went to the feet of Jesus. She went in utter humility to the feet of Jesus. And I love that about her. And humility creates this environment for God's spirit to move powerfully. So how can you or I go to the feet of people in our lives rather than go into the head? How can you and I Go to the feet of situations that we're wrestling with rather than going to the head. How can we show humility and allow God's grace to flow? Because James wrote, didn't he, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And humility is a channel through which God's grace and love can flow. We see the pride as a stumbling block in the life of Simon the Pharisee, don't we? it inhibits his ability to interact with Jesus and receive what Jesus has for him. So we can act courageously, we can walk in humility, worship wholeheartedly. She holds nothing back. She takes this precious alabaster jar of perfume. It may have been one of the most precious things that she possessed, and she breaks it and she pours it over the feet of Jesus. Whereas Simon couldn't even rustle up some cheap olive oil. You see the contrast? Where does our worship sit? on that scale, and with a cheap olive oil end or with the extravagant perfume end. For the woman, because she had been loved so greatly, she she worshipped greatly. But sometimes we can find ourselves not even managing to rustle up some cheap olive oil for Jesus because we become familiar with him, we lose sight of who he is and the, and the great love that he's poured into our lives. So we can look to her and see this beautiful act of wholehearted Worship, And she brought everything, she brought her emotions, she brought her physicality, she brought her spirituality. Every part of her was involved in the worship of Jesus that day. She held nothing back. We can learn a lot from her. And linked to that, we can live generously. She brought that perfume. She brought that precious perfume and she poured it out on Jesus. Yet Simon the Pharisee, the rich one, the established one... The powerful one couldn't even run some olive oil. Couldn't even run some water for Jesus' feet. Again, the contrast is huge. She was the outcast, she was the weak, she was the sinner. Yet hers was the generous gift. Simon, the powerful one, so little to give. So little to give. A link to that, I think, is the last thing. We can love greatly. You and I are the people who've been forgiven the huge debt, the unpayable debt. And when we catch sight of that again, we love greatly because we recognise we've been greatly loved. And I think the woman in the story is so incredibly inspiring, yet we don't even know her name. But her story is recorded here. Many people met Jesus, but the Gospels are very light, really, on some of the transformational encounters that really happened, and this is one of them. It's a very, very precious account of a woman whose life was utterly transformed by the love that Jesus showed her. She shows us what a transformed life looks like, doesn't she? In those simple acts that she did that day. And she leaves us with these challenges. When are we going to act courageously? Are we going to walk in humility? Are we going to go to the feet of people rather than to the head in pride? Are we going to be generous? Are we going to worship wholeheartedly? How can we grow to be people who, like her, love greatly? We don't know how this woman first met Jesus, we don't know anything about that encounter but we see the evidence, don't we? We see the evidence in this action of the fact that she'd met Jesus. And our lives should always evidence Jesus. If we've met Jesus, really, and not just once, repeatedly throughout our lives, we get the invitation to meet him. It should be evidenced through our actions. We should be able to see it. Simon the Pharisee was the religious one. He was the one that had all the trappings of religion and tradition. And yet the evidence of his walk with God was almost non-existent. Yet the sinful woman, the evidence overflowed from her. So powerful. She's the one that Jesus says, go into a new life. Walk in that new identity. And so truly meeting Jesus is always always transformative it's always transformative whether it's for the first time or for any other time after that and i would encourage you look for those transformative encounters with jesus go and find him again where do you find him in your life where's the place you can go to to find him and encounter him because you can meet him in so many different ways throughout your days It can be in the simplest thing, in the most profound thing. But every time you meet him, he says to you, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Go into peace. Go into peace. If you're able, why don't you stone with me? Jesus reminds us that we're, we're perfectly positioned to be people who love greatly. We're perfectly positioned to show the world what great love looks like. It's bold. It's humble. It's wholehearted. It's generous. It goes beyond the cultural norms. It invades the religious and the traditional. It, it's a love that brings us all to the feet of Jesus and humility, where we find healing and we find restoration. So let's just pray this morning as we close. Let's invite Jesus again into our lives. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WIT Riverside.